Is Bitcoin going to become legal tender in Switzerland? How could Bitcoin sanctions look in Russia? And why is Tezos becoming interesting again? That and more in the crypto market talk this week. In today's episode, we will talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum, of course. We will have a quick look at Tezos and some very interesting news happening in the Yearn Finance ecosystem. We'll dive into that as well. Then we'll quickly look at Polkadot, Solana, and we will have a general outlook on the market. But first of all, let's start with Bitcoin, of course. And let's start with this news, a bigger earthquake than Swift because in Russia, PayPal, Visa and MasterCard are actually stopping their services. And that is quite interesting because I think Visa has been in Russia for at least 25 years now. And the interesting part will be, of course, what kind of alternatives will there be? On one side, you have, of course, the credit cards from China, such as Union Pay, for example. You will probably get some people switching over to Bitcoin, but there is another problem. The cryptocurrency exchanges in Russia have to report specific amounts once they are changed into Bitcoin. So the big question still remains, will Russia maybe turn on to Bitcoin and use that to kind of go away or go far further away from the international sanctions or what kind of alternative is there left obviously the swift exclusion is a big problem and we've discussed last week that they could potentially also use the chinese swift version to kind of invade or evade let's rather say uh, the sanctions that are coming from the us and from the west in general but looking at the ruble denominated crypto prices in general we can see that the daily volume has been crazily high we can see here an absolute record high here after Russia has invaded Ukraine and we can see here also that the USDT ruble daily volume as well as the BTC ruble daily volume is at absolute highs and that doesn't come surprising at all people as I've mentioned last week already are standing in queue for their money and even the central bank is giving kind of more or less specific limits on how much money they can pull out so as soon as people can switch to cryptocurrencies such as tether and bitcoin they will do that now the big question again here is will the west kind of bring sanctions onto crypto or bitcoin specifically with russia and on one side of course we have again the russian cryptocurrency exchanges which have a specific limit on how much they can kind of move in cryptocurrency without reporting to the state it's a very low number so most people will actually have to go through kind of the state information cryptocurrency exchanges now in washington the department of justice has actually announced a new task force that is designed to enforce sanctions meaning the US sanctions besides SWIFT of course and besides other sanctions are also focused on cryptocurrency sanctions. They want to 
avoid that Russia can actually uh, evade the US sanctions by going the Bitcoin route. The question is how. As you know, Bitcoin is completely decentralized. And once you're in the Bitcoin system, there is not really a way unless you're targeting the fiat on and off ramps. The fiat on and off ramps essentially mean all the cryptocurrency exchanges where you can change your ruble or your USD or your Swiss francs or your euros to cryptocurrency and the off-ramp in turn is the same if you want to move away from Bitcoin for example into Swiss francs or euros meaning that if they target the cryptocurrency exchanges that are worldwide very active let's say Kraken for example or Coinbase kind of forbidding them that Russian citizens can actually use fiat on an off-ramp, then the cryptocurrency exchanges don't have any other um, solution but to actually um, enforce that and not allow kind of uh, Russian citizens to use their platforms. Now, an interesting part here are, of course, all the international cryptocurrency exchanges, which are not under the US law. So, for example, Binance, how will they behave? Because most of this volume that we've seen here is actually coming from Binance. So people are moving on to Binance and kind of using uh, these different cryptocurrency exchanges in order to um to move from ruble into cryptos. Now let's jump into a more quantitative kind of areas before we jump into a more positive news area. What we're seeing here is a very interesting graph. On yellow, we have the so-called one year plus huddle wave. Huddle, of course, means for means hold. So people that are holding uh, bitcoins for longer than one year. And usually once this number or this wave goes actually up, ten the tendency of the price to go up is here as well. So usually it can uh, kind of go up and down depending on the volatility of the price. So usually what you're seeing is once the price is very high, kind of the huddle wave goes down because a lot of people um, are in for, let's say, more short-term gains, right? So what we can see usually is that if people are accumulating, which we can see here, for example, the huddle wave goes up, meaning that people are holding more than one year and then tendency to price increase goes up as well. However, once the price has increased, to a specific degree we can also see then a decrease in the huddle wave because again people are looking into more short-term price actions now let's jump into this graph as well and that is i think even the more interesting graph in blue we can see the exchange reserves this is almost all exchanges that are being tracked by this a quantitative tool called CryptoQuant. And in black, you can see the crypto uh, Bitcoin price in general, right? So what you're seeing here is that currently the exchange reserve here is at about 2 million or a bit more. So 2.4 million in total are still on exchanges. Usually when the exchanges hold a lot of Bitcoin, it means that the demand for Bitcoin is quite low. If the, if the exchange reserves go down it means that the demand for bitcoin is pretty high now we don't see a kind of a view that we've seen here let's say kind of the the second half of 2020 where the exchange reserve have, has clearly gone down and the price has clearly gone up but we're, what we're seeing here is a more kind of slowly decline of the exchange reserves and that in turn also means that people are buying bitcoin and that could potentially mean that the price is slowly grinding towards an upside. 
Now talking about positive news, a very, very interesting stuff happening. The Swiss city of Lugano essentially makes Bitcoin and Tether de facto legal tender. And what does legal tender mean? Legal tender is a more legal term for essentially meaning it's a currency. So it's a currency that is usually accepted at stores, in government institutions, on daily basis. So you could potentially go and pay with Bitcoin for your coffee. Now in El Salvador, for example, this is already the case in the entire country, meaning you are allowed to use Bitcoin and usually you would use the Lightning Network, not the usual Bitcoin network because it's too expensive and doesn't really properly scale. So you would use the Lightning Network for cheaper and faster transactions. Now the city of Luka Lugano has had this conference or this, this event called Plan B, and the B is obviously standing for Bitcoin. And Lugano's mayor, Michele Folletti, has said that it's a de facto legalization as the Swiss franc obviously will remain actual legal tender in Lugano and, and elsewhere in Switzerland. But it essentially means that they want to create this kind of small Bitcoin city in Switzerland. And that comes to a surprise to a lot of you because we've always thought that Zug is actually actually the crypto capital of Switzerland, but Lugano is competing for that title now as well. Obviously in Zug you can pay for your taxes using Bitcoin and in Lugano you will be able to do that as well, but additionally some products and some services will be kind of payable with Bitcoin and Tether in the future. Interestingly as well is that this event was co-featured or co-sponsored by the creators of Tether, so USDT, and that of course always brings kind of a, yeah, let's say a, a bitter taste, uh, because if you know the history behind Tether, there was always kind of a controversy regarding this specific stablecoin. So it will be interesting to see how Lugano is developing into a Bitcoin city or Bitcoin city first, so also interestingly, which will be the third city or the competing city to Zug and Lugano, of course. Now let's have a look at the Bitcoin price in general. What we can see here still from the Fibonacci sequence that I've drawn, kind of the, the range is still in play. For now, it is actually very, very close to the 78.6% and I would still keep an eye on this price. I would expect a bounce, but again, kind of the world news and, and the shakiness of this Ukraine-Russia conflict is very, very troubling, of course, uh, on a humanitarian side, of course, but also for the assets and the markets in general, because usually once like a bigger invasion or a bigger um, kind of threat looms and people are kind of more risk averse, you can see that the markets would actually react. And I would think that Bitcoin would react very similarly. So it stays interesting. I do think once we break this zone, actually the next interesting zone would be the 33,000 line and then of course 28,000 is next. So quite interesting area for Bitcoin. If you want to take the trade, this could be an interesting bounce opportunity, but ob obviously um, you have to be uh, risk loving to take that trade. Let's talk about Ethereum. Very interesting stuff happening there. For example, not very specific to Ethereum, but an Nvidia hacker seeks 1 million US dollars for an Ethereum bypass. Now, what does this mean? Essentially, the hackers have 
obtained specific computer code from Nvidia, which allows them to kind of disable specific features of their graphic cards. Now, Nvidia obviously is one of the biggest graphic cards producers worldwide. And one of their GPUs or their GPUs specifically are, for example, used in order to mine Ethereum. Now, this is a bit of a problem because they want to create products for gamers and not for miners. So what has happened is that a lot of people have actually bought these GPUs in, all, or in order to use them for Ethereum miners and not for gaming. So the prices have increased quite a lot and people are a bit annoyed by the fact that their GPUs that are intended for gamers are actually used by miners. Now, Nvidia has taken a, a different turn here though, because they said, well, you can use the GPU, but it is going to be limited. Now, they're not saying this officially, of course, but the hackers have found out that it is kind of limited in terms of how much you can use the GPU for, GPU for, for Ethereum mining. Now, the hackers are saying, Either you're going to release this specific limitation of the 50% or we are going to release the specific computer code that is going to allow people that have these GPUs to, to disable this specific feature. Very interesting dynamic happening here. On one side, of course, the gamers are being annoyed by cryptocurrency miners. On one side, on the other side, Nvidia is actually embracing cryptocurrency miners. And I would expect Nvidia even to produce specific specifically GPUs for Ethereum miners. And I think this could solve the problem for both sides. On one side, you would have the GPUs for the gamers. On the other side, you would have the GPUs for the miners. Another interesting story talking about mining is, of course, why Ethereum is switching to proof of stake and how it will work. There is a very interesting article in Technology Review, and I will link this up in the description, of course. And you should read through it because it essentially takes the idea of proof of work kind of looks at the negative sides, then kind of evaluates potential alternatives such as proof of stake and how it developed, etc., and how the roadmap for Ethereum could look in the future. Quite interesting because proof of stake, of course, will bring a lot of efficiency um, increase as well as kind of make it more ecological to mine Ethereum. Currently, an Ethereum mining kind of uses the same energy as the country Netherlands. So quite, quite in energy intensive and why or how proof of stake specifically works is described in this article. Now, before we jump into the chart, we can also look at this part, what DAOs can do for Ethereum or specifically for the Ukraine. So 6.75 million in Ethereum have been raised for Ukraine and the Ukraine DAO. Now, the Ukraine DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization um, formed by the founder of the band Pussy Riot, which raised the funds by selling a simple NFT of the Ukrainian flag. And that kind of caused some interesting happenings here. On one side, people were saying, well, there is a DAO, uh, they've raised funding and maybe they will airdrop kind of a coin or an NFT for the people, or will it just be used essentially to get money to Ukraine and kind of fund the resistance there. Quite interesting and kind of also diving into how DAOs potentially could help in these situations as a fundraising tool, right? Because usually DAOs are more kind of a management tool, not specifically for fundraising, 
but this specifically could actually work in the DAO case. Now looking at the chart, again, the range is still in play, very, very similar as to Bitcoin. We can see kind of a down play here, then touching and going and ideally towards the upside. For me, the downside target still at around 1,800 US dollars for Ethereum. As long as this doesn't crash, I don't think we will see any kind of numbers lower. If this kind of support holds more or less, I would I would expect here kind of a small bounce, very similar to the Bitcoin price here. Although kind of a correction down would see the Bitcoin price at around 32,000 to 33,000 compared to Ethereum's 1,800 US dollars. Now let's jump about kind of uh, to, to the main story of the weekend. DeFi godfather Andre Konye quits as TBL and tokens tank for related projects. Now, André Cornier, for a lot of people, is uh, one of the godfathers and, and creators of the traditional DeFi protocols. So Yearn Finance, for example, was created by him. He has played a significant role in Curve Finance as well, and he's built and developed a lot of different DeFi protocols. Now, his Twitter account has been suspended for a couple of days or deleted. Nobody really knows. So another colleague of his from the Phantom Foundation, Anton Nell, has brought out a tweet yesterday saying that they will declare kind of closing or terminating their contributions to the crypto and DeFi space in general, meaning around 25 apps and services that they have been working on will be closed as of 3rd April 22. Now, this, of course, has caused a lot of controversy on one side, of course, to the Phantom Network, on the other side to Yearn as well, because he's saying, for example, here, instead of using Yearn.fi, use Yearn.finance. And you can see that if you go to Yearn.fi, FI, you can see this platform. And it is not ideal, to be honest. They could have communicated this much, much better. Uh, looking at this, it means essentially that Yearn.fi is not working anymore, but they should kind of show the alternative that Yearn.finance is actually working. Now on Yearn Finance, around 100 developers are working day and night on the platform and Andre Konya has actually not been working on Yearn Finance for quite some time now. So it is interesting, of course, on one side, the timing, they are citing mental issues, for example, kind of a burnout situation from both of them. Obviously, again, they have been working nonstop for two and a half years. So it is kind of to be expected. But again, in my opinion, that could have been communicated much, much better. Now, of course, Yearn Finance has taken a hit. And if we kind of zoom in here into the chart, we can see this correction here that has happened after the news broke. Now, it hasn't corrected as strong as other crypto projects, such as Phantom, for example, which is down about 20%. So Yearn is about uh, down about 10 to 15%. But what is very, very interesting, if we zoom out here, the bottom seems to hold up really nicely. So again, we have an interesting bottom of around 18,000 US dollars forming here. And as long as this doesn't break, very similar to Cardano uh, or to Tezos that we've seen last week, that the, as long as the bottom is holding, this is actually an interesting trade because again, Yearn Finance, one of the most important DeFi projects of the traditional DeFi experience, DeFi 1.0. Now, talking about Tezos, very interesting case here with the Department of Justice. They are moving to dismiss Tezos staking tax case in closely watched crypto dispute. 
situation is this. A couple in Nashville went to the Department of Justice and kind of stated their case that they have been staking Tezos or baking Tezos as it's called and kind of generated some passive income from those Tezos. Now they um, have kind of gotten a refund of 3,793 US dollars plus 208 US dollars in interest and instead of taking that refund from the IRS, from the Internal Revenue Service, they actually went and went to the Department of Justice in order to um, say, well, they are refusing this refund in order to request kind of this going to the Department of Justice in order to see whether staking is actually considered taxable income, yes or no. Now, of course, in Switzerland, the situation is completely different. In Switzerland, although I'm not a tax advisor, of course, it is usually uh, counted as income, so you have to uh, tax it as income, but again, talk to a tax professional regarding this. And speaking of staking Tezos, you actually have the option of staking your Tezos on a Swiss code as, as well, so you can base some tesis as it's called with Swiss code. It's a different uh, kind of way of staking but and the, 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 the reward is actually not too bad 5.7% per annum if you want to stake your Tezos. Now looking at the Tezos price quite interesting this range seems to be quite volatile but still holds up so we have this middle zone here we have this upper limit and we have this down limit of around two to uh, at around four US dollars. So around this this is actually an interesting trade still because I do think Tezos is making major moves in the NFT space. So if you believe Tezos plus the combination of NFTs, this could be quite an interesting trade. Now let's jump on to Polkadot because interoperability has a new meaning thanks to this Polkadot powered startup. And we're talking specifically about a startup called Parastate, obviously a parachain solution to Polkadot's ecosystem with the idea of building these web assembly based virtual machines that, that's compatible with Ethereum as well as Polkadot. What does this mean? It means that if you have a smart contract that you've developed for Ethereum, you can essentially use it one-to-one -one on Polkadot's ecosystem using this Parastate eWASM as well. And this means that a lot of applications that are already existing in the Ethereum ecosystem can potentially move to Polkadot as well. This isn't the only positive news about Polkadot. We can also talk about this. I've mentioned this, that Ukraine has posted a Bitcoin and Ethereum address for donations. And then Gavin Wood, the founder of Polkadot, has also said, if you post a dot address, I'll personally contribute 5 million US dollars. And they actually did. They created a Polkadot address and Gavin Wood then donated around 300,000 Polkadots, essentially about 5.7 million US dollars to the Ukrainian government using Polkadot. So it just shows you that one tweet and one kind of crypto address can already get you a donation of 5.7 million US dollars. Now the Polkadot price, again, interesting ranges for me here, this range and this range, still it is kind of getting very closely to this range. So it could become a very interesting trade if you want to take that trade. And if you're feeling a bit more risky, if you're thinking that the war even might continue and kind of more, be more risky, then this could be quite interesting as well. This zone of around 10 to 11 US dollars to buy back and then ideally see a very similar V-shaped recovery as we've seen here. 
Now, last but not least, an interesting project on Solana, not kind of a coin specific, but more NFT specific because Michael Jordan and his son are actually creating hair or hair um, with the idea of creating an NFT project which has 10,010 NFTs that are being sold for 2.3 Solana a piece or about 221 US dollars. The idea is to get users or NFT holders closer to their athlete fans and kind of get like a small community where they will have ask me anything, community exchanges, kind of community specific events that are only available for NFT holders. Now, whether the project will be a success or not remains to be seen. Again, NFTs with specific use cases do seem to be quite interesting for people. And of course, the Jordan name is a very strong name in that regard. For Solana, we can see clearly trend line has been broken. So this has been invalidated. And now an interesting zone is happening here because here we have actually an interesting support zone that we can see here. So this could actually become new support. So at around 60 to 70 US dollars could become a new support. We can even draw this a bit tighter here kind of ignoring the VIX here. And this could be quite an interesting zone if you want to rebuy into Solana. So even this kind of zone is invalidated as well. So we will look potentially at a potential entry here. Again, if this should break, um, then we're actually looking at, at much, much lower around 40 US dollars for a potential Solana trade. This is it from the crypto market talk this week. As always, make sure that you're subscribed to this channel to not miss any crypto news.